Welcome to the Future of Field Service podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Nicastro. This week, we are live in Chicago at the Service Council Symposium, bringing to you a panel discussion on the future service workforce. Hope you enjoy. Good morning, everyone. Hope everyone is loaded up with that coffee. It sounds like uh, there's plenty of it to go around. Um, as Chris said, I'm Sarah Nicastro, Field Service Evangelist, Future of Field Service. I'm very excited to be here with this wonderful panel today. I know some of these folks very, very well and, and have had some great conversations uh, with them. And I know you, you just heard from Stephanie and Eric before the break. So we're going to dig into to this topic a little bit more. Um, I know that the audience already knows some of you. But if you don't mind, just go down the line and, and briefly introduce yourselves and, and tell a bit about what you do. That would be great. Is this on? Okay. My name is Maria Pilata, and I'm the Chief of Staff at Canopy Lawn Care. Uh, We are a venture-backed residential uh, landscaping company. Lowe's Home Improvement is one of our investors. And I spend a lot of time working on our processes and our systems and getting our teams to collaborate more efficiently. So, great. So Stephanie Borowski, um, the one thing I will say is that um, I spent the 16 years at Generac Power Systems as VP of HR, and it's been the last 10 years that I spent at GPS Education Partners. And so what, it has been interesting transitioning from uh, for-profit to not-for-profit, um, but I will say is it's been a privilege of mine to really take um, this concept of, of work-based learning and really being help, being able to help um, young people and business and entire communities um, in the in the process of doing this. So um, that's been something that uh, that has been my personal joy. Good morning. My name is Roy Docker. I'm the vice president of customer care for Swisslog. Uh, we're a medication uh, supply chain management, transport automation. Uh, we work primarily in the, or really only in the healthcare space, and so I'm responsible for North America. So my organization is software support, technical support, um, field service, scheduling, and dispatching for all of North America. So uh, Eric Reisner, as you learned earlier, with uh, Hobart Service, and I think you probably know too much about me. (laughs) (laughs) Never too much. All right, great. So I have some questions for these folks. We don't have a lot of time for this panel, so we're going to dive right in. That being said, we certainly want to keep this um, conversational and based on what you all want to know, so you don't need to wait until questions at the end. If you have something, please get up, jump, scream, shout, raise your hand, all of that good stuff. Um, So to start, I just want to talk a little bit about some of the ways in which the role of the, the field worker and the service worker is, is really changing, has changed, and is changing. So I'm hoping you can each talk a little bit about the changes you've seen in how that work is changing and, and how that bleeds over to the, the skills and the type of people that, that we need to be recruiting and hiring. Yeah, so we are asking more of our team members than we ever have been. Uh, Especially for us, we're not asking our team to just go and perform a job. We are asking them to interface with customers, use technology, be involved in higher level business decisions. And so just the art of coming in and doing the job is is getting... 
outdated. Uh, and so we are just working really hard on training our team on the bigger picture and getting them involved and also being really transparent about all of our decisions. Whereas I think in the past, they haven't seen that level of transparency. Mm -hmm. I would say a lot of businesses are saying the same thing about, you know, I, I hate soft skills, I call them essential skills, but you know, I think that's in a lot of different <coughs> positions, maybe not just the service side, um, that are becoming more and more essential. Um, and so I would suggest that there's more and more businesses that are putting those ahead of even the technical skills. And so we're becoming more and more involved in in the training and the development of those skills. And I think businesses are putting those ahead of that even. And for us, I think just the state of healthcare in general, right, just the responsiveness, it's 24 hours a day, it's always open, it never closes, there are no holidays. So for us, the same thing as Maria said, there's a lot of responsibility on our technicians, there's uh, changing technology, everything went from serial-based communication to ethernet communication. Um, you have, you know, industry-wide end-of-life solutions, so now everybody needs new computer workstations. So my guys that, especially as a 400-year-old company, that have been working in the field on largely mechanical equipment, for a lot of years, now it's becoming a lot more electromechanical and digital. So trying to have those skill sets, recruit those people and retain them um, is becoming a challenge just because it's it's a lot of work, there's a lot of travel, there's a lot of on-call responsibility. Um, so it's a stressful job that we try to get everybody to do with a smile. <clears throat> so I agree with everything they said, especially the electrical and mechanical skill set. And I would say that on top of now ultimate, you know, personal skills, right? So interfacing with customers, having conversations, all of that, you tend to get the technicians that really want to get on the site, take care of the problem and get off the site. And you want customers that want to know you're on site, what you're going to do, how long it's going to take and all of that. And so it's developing those soft skills, I think is the big difference and work-life balance, right? 25 years ago, you had to control over time because everybody wanted it, right? And now you can't give it away, right? And so it's just a different workforce. So I'm curious, um, Stephanie and Eric, you both brought up soft skills, essential skills, you know, those types of things. And that's certainly something that is becoming more and more important. I'm curious your thoughts on to what degree are those skills teachable or trainable? Or, or do you need to be looking for a different makeup, a different personality type, a different type of employee to hire that has more of those innately? Jump. Oh, you go first. You go first. So, so I would say, you know, it's I always go in the one third, one third, one third. So there's one third that are never going to get it, and I actually have a good story on that. Quick one. <laughs> okay, good. And then We'd love to the hear one, it. Yeah, and then there's the one third that can be teached. They they can come over, and they may not be great at it, but they have that ability. They want to engage in a customer. So we had a program years ago at John's called List, which was listen, indicate, understanding, solve the problem, tell them what you were going to do. And somebody yesterday in our board meeting has a very similar program. They had a different acronym, but it was very similar. And just teaching people that, mm -hmm. you know. It was amazing, what a difference. And then you get the one third that just get it, right? Mm -hmm. They're just naturally, they want to interface with people. And so the quick thing on one of our managers in my team, this is our, another thing in our national meeting, said his favorite technician, this technician took care of every problem ever but always kind of had this trail of customers saying he wasn't very personable. And so he sent him out to take care of a call. The customer calls and said, that technician was so rude, don't ever send him back. And so he called the technician. He said, hey, listen, I just want to let you know the customer called, and it's getting worse now. They didn't say you're not personal. They actually said you were so rude, they don't want you back. And the, and the technician said to him, if they want their problems fixed, continue to call me. If they want a friend, buy a puppy. Wow. <laughs> 
So, that'd be the other. Yeah, part. right. He's, that's, yeah, that's, that's the, the first third. Okay. <laughs> But that puts, that puts companies like yours in a tough spot because we know that there's a shortage of people to hire, right? So then you have that one third that isn't going to get it, but you can't really just kick them all out quickly and, and replace them. Yeah. So um, with the cohort classes that we talked about, hiring these 12 techs at a time right out of school, we're actually teaching them the mecha mechanical and electrical. Mm -hmm. And so finding that it's easier if you get the personality and the willingness and the drive, you can teach them the mechanical and the electrical. Yeah, so this, this is something that Roy and I have talked about in the past, and, and I like the way he phrases it, which is we don't have a talent gap, we have an experience gap, right? right. So if we keep looking for people that have all of this experience, that's where we're coming up short. So do you want to, to comment on that a bit? You can say it way better than I can. <laughs> <laughs> you've, you've nailed it. Um, I, but I think, I think the one problem is, and I, you talk about that behavior, right? So like he said, I mean, and a lot of us from a technical perspective, I'm ex-military, Right, you can teach people skills. You can teach people how to troubleshoot. You can take a high school student and get them to operate a nuclear power plant. You can take a high school student and get them to operate um, or to, to repair tanks or aircraft carriers. It's not that we don't have people who are intelligent and talented enough to do things. Most of us just suck at training them, to be honest. But um, so from that, like we kind of shifted our focus and we spent several years really investing in our training program, making sure we had a certification. And then our focus was we need to make sure we're hiring people with the right personalities. Mm -hmm. We're hiring people with the right behavior. So we invested years in evaluating our technicians, what behavioral attributes made them successful. Um, and basically, we established that, uh, we established a program that we use during recruitment that actually identifies the behaviors that we think make our technicians successful from a soft skills perspective, right? The, the, the customers like them. They're, you know, they communicate well. They, they get along with software engineers and pharmacists and doctors, and when we started focusing on that demographic, one, it created diversity in the candidate pool because we weren't just looking at experience and who used to work at our competitor and who's worked in healthcare before and who's ex-military. When we just looked um, across a broader spectrum of candidates and then focused on the behavior um, that they were bringing in with them, and it was behavior that we can continue to develop over time, but they're coming in at a point where they work well with the team, they collaborate, they collaborate well with people, they get trained a lot easier, and and then we kind of build the skills from there. So we take them, you know, we take them in class. We have work-based learning in the field, and we build from there. So I think the key is, as organizations, we know that that person, we know that personality is important from a customer experience perspective, but we need to quantify it, and we need to make it measurable, and we need to say this is the culture that we want, and this is how we can measure it, and then bring people in that meet it. Yeah, we break it down to competencies mm -hmm. and then align it, right? So we align it to the pathways and then the students know, you know, what those requirements are for those pathways and then they know whether they align or they don't. And mm -hmm. so they don't go into different career pathways that it's going to take competencies or behaviors that they don't align to. <laughs> and so they don't find themselves into customer-facing careers that they simply hate. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so they may try them on for a little bit and find out early on in their careers or early on in, in those exposure pathways that, oh yeah, this is something that doesn't align with who I am or what I enjoy. And they learn early on that that's the case. And so those are that those exposure pathways and those early experiences that are so critical um, for these young people. So when they are hired full 
full-time, they get into these, you know, these careers um, and full-time, they are in where they belong. Good. So, so we know this is a big pain point for, for most of the companies here, this, this issue of, of hiring good people, hiring good people that can do the job the right way, that are going to make customers happy. And we also know that we can't keep doing what we've always done and expect a different outcome, right? So can you each share a bit about how you've taken a different approach, how you've gotten a bit more creative, um, and some of the things so that tactically the people in the audience can take, you know, hopefully a light bulb moment home with them to, to have an idea of, of something they could try. Um, so share a bit about what you've done differently that, that you feel is, is worth considering. Well, my first thought when you guys were talking about you know more uh, personality training and more investment in the training and recruiting, you have to have a lot more applicants to choose from to get to that point. And a lot of people are stuck when they only have 20 people to choose from, right? So companies need to invest way earlier so that they have more choices when they get to that first 90-day time period. So uh, what we're doing differently is we're really focusing on the career paths of our technicians and giving them the options and the tools to make more money on their own. Uh, so a lot of people will come to us and say, I want to raise, and we're giving our technicians uh, six different avenues to get a raise. And so if they demonstrate, um, they demonstrate something with a customer, they demonstrate something with their manager, and they complete training, they are approved for a raise. And so we're trying to give them more tools so that they can manage their careers on their own, rather than either thinking they'll get a raise by talking to their manager or by leaving uh, to get a raise. We don't want them to leave, we want them to stay with us. So we're trying to control as much of that as possible. Maria, real quick, um, I, you mentioned getting more applicants, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah. um, I know that, that you've done some things that I think um, probably seem simple um, mm -hmm. or maybe things that, that should seem obvious but have had a big impact in mm -hmm. terms of um, how you present job opportunities on your website, mm -hmm. how you articulate benefits, mm -hmm. and then also around um, making sure that the application process mm -hmm. is mobile friendly and very easy. So can you yeah. share a bit on, on those? Things. So we as businesses spend a lot of time evaluating what our competitors look like, what our co competitors pricing looks like, what their websites look like, and we don't do enough from that on the employee side. And so I'm really passionate about looking at our applications and uh, going through that workflow as if I was a technician. And last night there was a company in this room that I looked at their job board and said, okay, if I was a technician, let me apply for this job. I was on my phone in my room. I could not apply to their company from my mobile phone. Mm -hmm. And that is a problem because most technicians are not using a desktop computer to apply for a job. Mm -hmm. And so we have to evaluate that entire workflow. We have to evaluate our job descriptions and make sure that they make sense. And uh, I don't want to talk too much about this, but I am presenting tomorrow and you can get a little bit uh, longer of an explanation about how we're evaluating that process. Good, good. They're just things that, that maybe seem as though they should be intuitive, but those are the types of things that I think companies don't step back and evaluate and really think through that, that can make a big difference when you're looking for, for new applicants. Good. Stephanie? 
So I, I do think that some of that early awareness, you know, we, we've realized that, you know, we, we even, us as an organization, started at juniors and senior year and went into, you know, um, post-graduation and, and then into their, you know, 13th and 14th year. But we really did need to start earlier um, in that early career awareness um, in helping young people understand, you know, wider net, understand what careers and what opportunities did exist. But even afterwards, as you had said, um, where does that career lead? You know, and so a lot of our employers were just looking at, okay, you can become this upon graduation. Well, young people wanted to know not just what I'm going to be, you know, once I graduated, but where can this true career lead me in two years, three years, four years? And so we are been, we've been working with more and more of our employers to truly guide them through that pathway. And that's how young people are making their selections. That's how, you know, adults are making their selections for, um, for careers and for what uh, employers they're, they're going to be working for. And so I think that's, that's what I'm seeing as a, a big change and a big shift. So I talk about this a lot at the session that I have at 12:30. So I'm not going to touch. I'm not going to talk about most of that, and that's today. Um, so I'll, three things: one, cost you money, and two of them are free. Um, one, from a training perspective, you have to change the way that you do training, right? I think we've all, like, an, at least in my company, which is 100 years old, we kind of got lazy on training over time because we went from, as somebody mentioned, we went from bringing people out of the trades. We had apprentices and journeymen, and they kind of went through the process, but then we just started hiring people who already knew what they were doing. And I think our training started to decline. So we have to reinvest in training to where you have ladder safety training and telling people how to wear um, safety glasses and for people in healthcare, bloodborne pathogen training that you just assume people kind of have. Because with this supply chain, we're all talking about you're losing candidates. So you have to be able to train people faster and more effectively. So you can start bringing in all these new young people if you want. It's going to take you a year to train them because they're just going to wander around in the field with your technicians and get told whatever your technician thinks is important that day. So you have to invest in, in training, whether it's in, you have to do digital training, learning modules, videos, and something that's efficient, um, especially for the generation of people you're trying to recruit. Uh, the second thing is revise your job posting to what uh, Maria said. I've spoken at different conferences and I've made fun of people's job postings <laughs> and like put it up on the wall because most of our job postings look like Dear John letters. You look like you're trying to hire somebody who worked for you yesterday. Like, I need someone with 12 years of experience in Japanese injection molding equipment. Like, why are we that specific? Like, we can't teach somebody how to work on that equipment. So you've got to revise those postings because at least to my third point, which is when you get an extended candidate pool, make sure your managers that will actually hire those people look at the resumes, right? We did a lot to change the resumes that were coming in, but we didn't really change our recruiter. So we were getting tons of new resumes and our recruiter was still grading the, the people who had 15 years of experience at OmniSale as an A. Where when my service managers, when my directors of service look at resumes, what we found is the people that our recruiters were grading as C's and D's, my employees grade them as an A. 
right? So we were getting more candidates and they were being ignored because we didn't, you know, so that's the other thing I would say, especially for your hiring managers, you don't have to change the HR department screening process, but let your people go into the, the human resources and start looking at more of the people who are applying, not just the people who are being screened. Because in every situation I found, the managers who have worked the jobs, who are from the field, who are familiar with it, they would, they'll look at a resume and look at some experience or someone's skill and say, I'll absolutely hire them, and it's somebody human resources would have never picked. Yeah, I think the one thing I would add to that is, and it's kind of the obvious one, but you've got to do it, right? You've got to walk the walk and talk the talk, right? So by going out myself to the vocational schools and going out to these, you know, different parts of uh, inner cities and things like that, you can get people to follow you. You can get the employees and the managers to start thinking differently. And that's really where this escalates, right? Mm -hmm. So on the classes we recruited, you know, the first class we pushed really hard to recruit that first 12, right? The second 12 we did like little to no effort. And the next one's coming up and I bet it'll be zero effort on our side. It'll all be from the field and field driven. But if they don't see you out there doing it, right? So for instance, posting on things like Craigslist, right? I never would have thought of that, right? Um, everything's gotta come across the phone is, uh, you've mentioned, right, for, for the young kids, right? Not only look at your job description, look at your website, right? Does your website look like a bunch of 50-year-old white guys, right? <laughs> it's not gonna be very attractive to a, a young person coming in, but you've gotta actually do it, right? You gotta walk in the shoes and do it. And then when people call you with issues, hey, I tried this and it didn't work, you can give them some pretty good feedback, saying, hey, I had that same thing when I went out there, or when I talked to that class, you're right. You know, this the presentation we had at trade shows doesn't work with a classroom of people, whether it's adult learners, or, or kids, but you gotta get in. I'm not saying own 100%, but you've gotta be an active participant for people to really believe Otherwise, they think it's flavor of the month or the quarter and it'll go away. Mm -hmm. Right, and if you ever think that you're gonna be done recruiting or done training, you are wrong. <laughs> like, you can never stop. And if you do, I think that's when you won't have great applicants, you won't have great people. It's a constant effort. And then the last thing I would add is, if you have uh, employee referral programs, right, to really look at those, right? And is it something that you're really rewarding the employee to put some effort into, right? And if they're not referring people, you know, question why they're not referring people, right? Because to, to his point here, you can get all new applicants, you can get all new, and if you put that uh, new person with the experienced person, and the experienced person's telling them what a crummy place it is to work, right, it's gonna kill it. And that's what I always check employee referral programs. There's a reason why if you up the money to make it attractive and people still aren't referring people, there's an issue, right? Because your employees are either gonna be your billboards, right? Or they're gonna be your deterrent, your fence. So really look at that also. Okay, I have one more question for these guys if, if you all are snoozing. But before I ask, I do wanna give anyone in the audience an opportunity to ask a question. I don't wanna take all the time. So does anyone have anything that they wanna ask the panel? All right, here we go. For personal, uh, I have a son who's got a senior in high school uh -huh. and wants to go into being a technician or education. And I just have a question to all of you. What advice would you give them? Okay, if it's okay, I'm just gonna repeat it in case yeah. anyone didn't hear. So the gentleman said he has a son that's a senior in high school and wants to go into being a field technician. What advice would anyone on the panel give him? Okay, so to pick a field that's gonna be consistent, right? To pick a field, so oil and gas, going out to the oil fields pays really well, but plan on getting laid off half your career, right? So pick a, a profession that's gonna be consistent. You know, one like, for instance, restaurant equipment where people have to eat. <laughs> <laughs> right? 
Second thing is, you know, you want further education. They talked about the career paths, right? So you, you would have a career path that's not just start as a technician. And can they say that people have actually been promoted out of the ranks, right? So one of our regional directors that runs 100 million, right, he started as a technician, right? And so he's a live example. You can go from technician to director of a $100 million business. So I would say key is career path and stability is really what you want them to look for. I would tell him to treat each interview like an interview for himself. Ask questions and engage with that hiring manager and ask you know, tough questions uh, because it's a really great thing that he knows right now that he wants to be a technician. And so I think he has the opportunity to really find the right place for him. And uh, the one thing I would add is say as well, when it comes to skills, skills that he can develop, skills that he can self-learn even while he's in high school, like if he wants to work in the restaurant industry or in healthcare, which is <laughs> definitely not going anywhere, right? Um, the, I mean, I, and I tell people this because I, I talk to youth groups and Sarah knows that all the time, like go look at the job posting for the job that you think you want, right? Look at the skills that are required and then go learn them. So when you fill out your application, you can write, I have this skill, I have this skill, and when someone asks you, say I'm self-taught, right? I looked at YouTube videos, I've practiced, I took my dad's car apart, and he let me in, and he drove me to this interview, so it's working, right? So, but working, <laughs> we think, but, and so, and I've had that, and just a quick story, like I had a young guy that, that attended my church, and he had worked in our church, his father was like our building manager for the church and for the school that was attached to it. So he grew up doing HVAC, plumbing, you know, he would he had fixed the lights, he ran the sound, he had wired security cameras, he did everything you could possibly do in the church and he was working at McDonald's and he was 20 years old. So I said, why, why don't you go work in field service? And he was like, well, the only other, only place I've ever worked is McDonald's. And I said, give me your resume. I rewrote his resume. I took all the skills that I knew he had, because I saw him demonstrate them, wrote them at the top of his resume. And like two days after putting his resume online, a local HVAC company called him and said, would you come be an apprentice? Right? And so now he's a full licensed HVAC technician, just bought his first house, just got married and had his first kid. And he was at McDonald's. Right? So I think they have skills. They can acquire skills. But we have to coach them in saying, this is what you want to do go get experience and go get some skills in this area and put your resume out there, but put your skills first because that's what the people who are hiring care about. And the only other thing I would add is, you know, that make sure it's a teaching and learning organization, you know, as he's looking at different organizations. And there are a lot of opportunities that, um, that young people can have uh, in many cases, even if it's volunteerism, as you were talking about, to get those experiences, um, whether they're in a, a youth apprenticeship type of opportunity um, or if it's just volunteering some of their time and their skills um, that they can and put on their resume that that means a lot to employers good I could talk to you all all day but uh, Chris is coming to kick us off stage so um, thank you all so much for for listening and, and thank you for so much for sharing I appreciate it big round of applause folks thank you all